0: And we're recording, so for something different this time, I'll start by actually introducing the person I'm going to be speaking to today. Very, very gratefully, have Miss Nona Ainsley on on the phone. We're not on a phone, actually. We're on a computer, but you know. Um. So, welcome, Nona. Thank you so much
1: for being here. Down the motherfucking rabbit hole we go. I'm here. You are here. Let's do this.
0: <laughs> well. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fucking amazing. And something else I just need to add. And I think actually, this is going to be the first episode or interview that I share after my hilarious first interview. Notice the reason I have a podcast. She is my consiglieri, the person I refer to very often throughout all of my episodes. And I quite literally wouldn't be here without her. So now it's really fun that I'm here with her. And She is someone who inspires me to no end. She also challenges me on a level that not a lot of people uh, do. Well, it's not true. People challenge me, but like not effectively. And for this woman to get my ass off of the ideation couch and into actually fucking recording this shit was like kind of amazing. So it's been something that was bopping around in my old brain hole for ages. So and you know that, Nona, you know. I've been giving credit where credit is due, but thank you.
1: Thank you. My goodness.
0: I think this will probably be a thing. I'm always fascinated by people's origin stories. I think it is really interesting how, you know, how they fucking got here. But I kind of want to give you the choice, which angle you want to take in terms of the Nona origin story or the origin of this conversation story. So I'll let you take it from there.
1: Ooh, I love it. It's going to be intertwined but I love starting where we are right now. Perfect. It's been something that I've been, this year I'm really intentional about setting goals and like using a formulaic kind of layout for that. So really pushing into all of the nitty gritty and I kind of got into this, like the the growth mindset and this change place can be a very volatile experience. And so how do I make sense of like where I am right now? Because I feel like I've been on a rocket ship for so long. When is it not going to feel like the movie Apollo 13 where you're sweating balls and are you going to make it? And like, but this is all good stuff. And (laughs) so just making sense of that for me, one of the words for this year is synchronicity. Ooh, I love it. Yes. So I'll spit out like a little simple definition. It's the belief that our souls attract people, places and events into our lives that help us grow and develop meaning and evolve in our consciousness.
0: Thank you so much for pulling that out because one of the threads of commonality, I hope to interweave to steal your word throughout these conversations is like the intersection kind of of spirituality and like real deal fucking life and synchronicity is a term that has definitely been borrowed if not full on like absorbed by the spiritual community you know to kind of mean like magic and like glitches in the matrix or miracles and so like that definition I find it really empowering because it's saying like you're creating this. You're creating your reality. You're creating these opportunities. They're going to show up however you interpret them. But yeah, to me, like sinks are little proofs. Like they're like little magic spells that have gone right.
1: Yeah. And I feel like I've been in training for today since day one. <laughs> and it's every experience layered upon layer. It's a synchronicity that everything, like, and there's a comfort with that. I don't have to be on the rocket ship all of the time. Like, I can settle my insides to know, like, (sighs) we're on the rocket ship, but, like, inside, I'm zen because of, like, I can be holding this idea of synchronicity there, Mm. and so that's been, like, this key thing, and then just, you know, like my origin story and, and and birthing that, like it's a source of superpower, like where I've come from. So owning that whole craziness that is my story has given me tremendous power because I've had so many experiences, you know what I yeah. mean? But it's like you said, like, how does synchronicity happen? I don't think, like I said, it's the belief. Well, to me, I add on to that. I don't think it's just this belief. I think it's actually a formula where it's accumulation of experiences, but it can't just be an experience standalone. It's the awareness of how that experience affects you. And then you gain that knowledge and then you have another experience and you apply that knowledge. That's momentum, that's action. that's that's moving forward with this complete understanding because synchronicity, like I'm talking to you today, like not all of my experiences contribute to my synchronicity yet because I don't have full awareness of how it's contributing. Right. I haven't drawn all of those uh, conclusions and wisdoms yet from all of the experiences. So synchronicity has been one of those things, like you said, the spiritual, like, how can I be at peace and have some knowing like this is the greater thing. Like I'm headed down this path and it's, it's it's headed in this direction with faith and with like, I know there's a formula to this.
0: Well, and what's like really hitting me as you share this, cause we have, you've talked me off of many ledges <laughs> and it's like that moment also, like if you think, cause synchronicity, I think is has always feels like it should be a positive, but the way you just described it, Is when like I, when the shit has hit the fan and, you know, I'm in my mind's eye right now, like all of these different scenes from my life are flashing before me that were like the moment where I was like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, like, oh my God. And in that moment, I absolutely used to panic and react or freak out or break down or whatever. But the last few times that happened. And whomever is listening to this, it's currently January 2022. So there have been quite a few of those moments in the last few years, if not few months. But like through that training and through that formulaic approach, I can go, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. This is a sink. This is that moment that the universe is giving me as a point of clarity, as that fork in the road. And I can choose... I can choose which way I want to go. And I know I don't have the all of the information right now. That's why this feels tragic, painful, awful. And like I can choose the road I certainly used to walk down that was blaming and shaming and screaming and yelling. Or I can actually choose the really, really dark, <laughs> totally overgrown path where I can only see one step in front of me, which is... Well, let's let's assume this is supposed to happen. Let's assume that on the other side of this, when we get to the desired destination, this is all going to make sense. And it sure is shit going to make for a better story. But like, you know what's down that other path. You can see it very clearly. Everything is obvious. And you've, you've done it a million times before. Or you can go down, again, this like completely dark and scary, unknown, low visibility Trail that, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know how it's going to end up. You just know you have that faith that this is exactly what's supposed to happen. So, yeah, it's... um, Woo! Makes me want to throw up while I'm talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I usually call you. (laughs) You know what else came up while you were talking? And I'm just going to say this so that we circle back to it. But it's also like compounding interest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, it's a oh. like, force I don't really quite understand. But I know that like, this, this small iteration, when I add that exact same amount on top of it, and then I add that amount on top of the existing amount, right, like, it's exponentially growing and expanding. And it doesn't have to feel like this huge monumental thing in the moment actually the previous conversation we were talking like the mundane the mundane experience of actual magic can appear it can be misleading because again I think like we think synchronicity is supposed to be like this crazy psychic like you know the movie plays before my eyes and then I'm able
1: to like yeah (laughs) yeah no and oh I think it's just a powerful way for succinct thoughts right to come together and you see this and it's Mm. it is time and time again proven like you follow some of these rabbit holes in a certain way and like all of a sudden you pop out like oh I have some wisdom yeah whoa I have some comfort with knowing like a belief in myself and that yeah I'm walking my right path whoa
0: yeah okay so to circle back how how misnoted did you find yourself talking
1: to me here today. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. A collision we've had. It's true. We've pinballed off of each other and I just think there's such a synergy, but yeah, I've had a long path and I think that we've talked very candidly about there's some magic behind all these traumatized people that rise out of the uh, muck. And yeah, I'm going to own that story. Being a kid growing up in Detroit, kind of have that, I am going to have my way up out of that mofo and I'll own it. And I think the magic for me was resiliency birthed confidence for me, which birthed momentum that... A lot of the haves have not been able to accomplish, you know what I mean? Like I'm surpassing, you know, some people that had all these chances and just they didn't create the same momentum in life that I was able because I was so challenged, so young. So yeah, turning impairments into superpowers. That's what I do. Mm,
0: That's 100% what you do. Ironically, the other conversation that I had was with someone born and raised on eight mile in Detroit. <laughs> I think she might've been on Sweet. the other side of the street, <laughs> what up, what up? <laughs> um, but I always make a joke. Like I can My only pass people from like the swamp or Detroit. And I don't, I don't know what that is, but I think it's, it's that attraction and fascination with, you know, the hero's journey. And I, I also, I think, you know, the haves or have nots or, or, you know, I, like my little brother always says, I don't have some like tragic story that I get like you know. There's nothing bad's ever happened to him. <laughs> I tease about that, but you know I think everyone has had their traumatic experiences. You you definitely win <laughs> if there's a contest. It would be the worst fucking contest ever. But you you you're standing on the center platform, um, holding the biggest trophy for sure. For me. I mean, the way our paths crossed is complete. It's uh, it's like unbelievable. I ended up back in Colorado, helping a mutual friend of ours who uh, unfortunately passed from cancer, and you were one of his best friends. And I had gone to college with his wife, who was you know one of my oldest friends. And when I was leaving the music industry. I could actually make plans for the first time in my adult life, <laughs> and um I knew that our mutual friend was sick, so I reached out and said, You know his wife, our connection is going to be about eight and a half months pregnant this summer. I'm sure you'll be in recovery, but you know an eight and a half month pregnant person and someone who is very recently out of chemo and radiation." Might need some support and I'd be more than happy to offer my human physical being, let alone whatever support you can offer someone in that situation, having had some experience with that myself. And everyone kept talking about Nona when I got here. You know, you've got to meet Mike's friend. She's amazing. And I was telling everybody that I was going to become a professional mountain biker because I wanted to learn how to mountain bike. (laughs) Out the gate, bought myself an insane piece of equipment. And Nona, you were kind enough to like show me how to use it. (laughs) And then take me for a few rides and take me to the bike park. And... Your badassery, I remember, I will actually never forget it. Was one of my most favorite things in my life that I've ever witnessed is, you know, two middle-aged women at a mountain bike park. And we're, I mean, we could be the mothers, if not grandmothers, of the other people that were at this park who were doing, you know, crazy jumps and getting shredding and getting sick air and like, you know, all all the all the things that the kids do these days. And Nona pushes her bike up to the biggest jump, and the dudes are just like ignoring her and kind of, you know, like sidestepping. And you just sort of politely wait in line. And then you let her rip and you stomped that motherfucking jump. And from that moment on, people got out of your way. <laughs> and it was like the waves parted as Nona rode around that park. And it was fucking awesome. And yeah, then, you know, there's the snowmobiling and the snowboarding and all of these extreme sports. And actually I'll use that as a segue. Cause one of the things that you used to tell me when you were tearing around these parks was like, that was your church. How did you, how did you discover that extreme sports, Were a cathartic experience for you, but also like a very necessary part of your success.
1: Thank you for all that flattery. I'll get out. That's so flattering. So, (laughs) oh my God. It
0: it was, I felt like the cool kid. I was like, I'm with the most badass person at the park. (laughs) Like, it's like, like took me back to being like a skate bunny and like when I'm like, fucking, yeah, hanging out at the skate park, being like, that's my friend.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yep the cool kids the hot doggers I think when I I I would say like growing up I was born in the 70s so like latchkey kid I was feral so I did I was a daredevil and I just I do what I want and that meant freedom and and I had a lot of sense of that growing up but lost that some along the way and then When I was rediscovering myself and going through this midlife renaissance, my first thing to like bring me into that was I had to start saying yes to things. And then you know how that goes. Like you break a pattern and you're saying yes to things and one thing leads to another and then you find a passion that you lost. And I had a, a friend, which is connected in this group that you were talking about, like how we discovered each other. He was my roommate. He came to me again, like these weird synchronicities like he was a friend that was a friend in college where I felt really like the first time like being myself and then he came back into my life when I was going through this huge renaissance and we bought bikes like the three of these clowns like we bought cruisers and like called ourselves the alley crows and went on drunk town adventures on these townies jumping off of curbs and like thinking I'm 12 and I never had a better time And then, you know, these guys were mountain guys and living in the city, I guess, for a moment. And then the mountain biking came and I was rode a lot of mountain bikes for like a month or two. And it it was like, I think I'm on the right track. And then I rode one of the big bikes and I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to this is (laughs) aggressive enough and scary enough for me. So that's kind of how I got. It pressed all the buttons at that point and I was hooked. And I was such not in shape for this sport, no skills whatsoever. I rode bikes as a kid. I rode them fiercely, but like I rode bikes as kids and never again. Like I had to start from ground zero and I got just totally obsessed with watching the skills videos and going to the park and practicing and like I got super committed. So yeah, it was a just synchronicity. One thing happened after another and you go down a rabbit hole and all of a sudden like you're a ripper.
0: Well and I think this might be fairly inspiring for any person who hears this but how old were you if you're cool with sharing that when you started mountain biking?
1: My midlife renaissance probably came on let me get what year do I claim 2010 so that would have made me 35. There you go. So probably when I was like 37, I started downhill biking and doing that kind of intense sports and, and then came snowboarding and then came snowmobiling.
0: There you go. So like 37, you started mountain biking and then snowboarding and then snowmobiling.
1: Yep. And I'm an intense player in all of those. It's not like I go once in a while. It's like my parents. It's well. And so like they came from nothing
0: not only is it your passion it's your entire lifestyle now i mean you went from working you know full time like everybody else to being self employed and with the focal the whole focus point of getting to go on your adventures like you were completely in charge of your schedule you travel around from like ex- not exotic cuz like, wyoming is not exotic <laughs> but like for the types of adventures that you want it is as exotic as it gets. And you created all of that. So also earmarking this and something else, I don't know if you're going to be comfortable answering this, but can you remember like your first yes? Clearly everything else I just kind of like hit you with is all a result of yes. You've also, there are some pretty big commitments you've taken on. We'll get back to that. I want to start with like your first, your
1: first yes. I don't know if I can remember the very first yes, but I definitely remember some of the first. It was Just basically like somebody invited me like out of pity and paid for like this experience. And how could I say no? And it was right when I was feeling like I could say no to something like that. I mean, yeah, it was like this little fundraiser, fun time out with some of the girls from work. And I said yes. And then there was like a birthday party with those kind of same girls that we went out and said yes. And so is this
0: Detroit or Atlanta or Colorado?
1: This was no 2010 was here. I was living in Greality, Greeley, Colorado. Reality. For
0: those of you that don't know, Greeley is famous for many things, but one one element in particular is that it smells like cow shit. And and I had heard that so often living in Colorado, and I had been to Greeley like. Once or twice, and that hadn't been the overwhelming experience that I had. And then I went to Greeley, and uh, you know the wind was blowing the right direction. And I was like, "Holy!" Quite literally, "Holy shit!" <laughs> like this yes. is this is why this is holy say, shit. uh, Greeley smells like shit. So, okay. So then, how the fuck did you get to Colorado? if you hadn't started saying yes prior to that?
1: Well, I've said yes like all along. Like my journey is, like I said, it's one layer on the other. I said yes when I should have been dead or going to prison to going to college. I said yes to myself when I moved myself out of Detroit. I said yes when I moved myself and my husband and led us to Colorado, like all of those years of never enjoying the fruits of those labors. Cause I had so much ground, like I had so ma- much Maslow's of hierarchy to rise up, but I have been saying, yes, it was just getting back to the yes, you know what I mean? Had kind of faded there. And then going full on with like embracing that as a way. And it just was magic. All of a sudden I was like, I need these mantras and touchstones in my life to create this magic and moving me forward. Ooh, okay. So that's
0: another one I'm going to earmark are the mantras and touchstones.
1: I was trying to think while
0: you were speaking, like, so then what's the difference? Because the, you know, the yes to happy hour after work in Colorado was definitely not the first yes. But perhaps it wasn't so much yeses to, you know, your potential reality, aka death and or jail or college. It was more like, fuck no. (laughs) Like... Uh, it, and and I, I like how you framed it in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs because just getting past that first level is probably a lot more like, fuck that, fuck this, I'm out. So they feel like no's because it's like, this is no longer acceptable. I am no longer willing to tolerate this. I am no longer settling or accepting on this level. And then you, as you level up, it becomes more expansive and yeses instead yeah, of- I love okay. that. Well, and the details are juicy. What was one of the biggest fuck knows for you when you realized like, I am on the path to death and destruction, and I'm going to change lanes. And also, can you just give us like a little because I know the answer to this question, but I think it's going to be really helpful for my readers because known as a gorgeous blonde with sparkling blue eyes. And the Nona that you're describing in this moment, can you describe her for us? Oh yeah. So
1: <laughs> let's go back to 1993 and I know it's a derogatory term, but like a cholo, like I look like a gangster, a Mexican gangster, like Jankos, socks pulled up, big chain wallet and needed it because I was at the clubs at 3 a.m. and my wallet, like I was at the warehouse party at 3, 4, 8 a.m. And I just might have done something where I might not always be able to put my hand in my wallet. So good thing it has a chain anyways, because there might be some need for that. Like and just for some of our listeners, yeah, who that
0: was known like off. 93 Detroit. So you are not at the origin of like the warehouse rave scene. That was sort of like more Chicago, but it, it didn't get more real <laughs> than that. I think ecstasy at the time was on like these giant disc, like waffle size wafers. And Jankos, for those who don't know, were jeans that your entire body could have fit in one leg. The po- I mean, one of the reasons you need a fucking chain is the pockets were like from, you know, your hip bone to your knee. And they were quite, quite the fashion accessory for the raver and or cholo I, I suppose
1: so thank you for picking I, you know like picture. we'd mix that skater cholo raver like detroit it was detroit yeah. dirty grungy detroit so yeah that was nona that was nona and, and she was running around risking her life showing up at raids and sleeping on floors and being homeless like I, truthfully yeah.
0: so what was the first fuck no or not the first, but one that really stands out in your mind when you went, I'm getting off this yeah. this highway to nowhere.
1: It was probably a really bad binger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a three-day binger looking in the mirror, shaking and barely holding myself together in a house like I'm sleeping on the floor for the past six months. You know what I mean? And I'm, I've am i got my stuff in a trash bag in the hallway closet when I break out. That's my stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, Brushing my teeth like, looking in the mirror and like, I looked like death. Right. And I wasn't living a life. And so at first I tried to go to job core. I thought that was going to be my way out. And then I met some people that actually tried to do job core. I'm like, I'm not going to juvie. <laughs> I'm not putting myself in juvie. That's not the way to a better life. Right. So yeah, then I, I pulled it together and and got myself to college. Uh, I went had to take the ACT, like drive, you know, figure that out after I got out of high school because I never took the ACT. Like, I had to drive somewhere. Like, I drove to the community college and had somebody f- help me fill out the financial aid form. And, like, I know, like, that was an angel that helped me because she's like, oh, this girl. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because I looked how I looked and I didn't, I didn't know how to look any different. That's how I looked. So, yeah. And I showed up to college with my little garbage bag and, I don't think, I'm sure I was the most grateful person to be in a two bedroom, sharing a bedroom with a bed and like all of this crappy dorm room furniture. I'm sure I was the most grateful person in the whole building Mm -hmm. because I had a bed to sleep in all of a sudden.
0: So what was,
1: and was like... Which college was this? I went to the only school that would accept me. <laughs> <laughs> a state college, actually. It's a decent school, and I love them for what they do, offering opportunities to people like me. It was Ferris State University, so Big Rapids, Michigan.
0: Big Rapids, Michigan. What an apt name for that school. And I, again, I know the answer to this question, but one of your favorite topics was economics, Right. Oh yeah. Why did you love economics so much?
1: Because I was a motherfucking hustler. <laughs> well, and it's so interesting. I had street game, and then I read an economics book, microeconomics. I was like, what, what, what? Yeah. Like, how are they saying what I do it's like? How is this actually? This is how it actually works. Like, I put it together. Like, supply demand. Like, it don't matter if it's street product or milk like we're going down this supply and demand thing so it was very powerful and i know i was ahead of my uh colleagues as <laughs> of my uh hustling days and it really i mean i'm not sad that i did that sorry not sorry yeah macomb county police well
0: and like so often i think you know you capitalism and colonialism and all these constructs can get a really really bad rap why or how and, and as someone who would probably have been on the <laughs> underserved part of this system and you know very much marginalized and ostracized why do you think that when you discovered economics and finances and even just higher ed you felt empowered instead of disenfranchised I've
1: always had, it it came from this place of confidence. It's another superpower. If I see anybody out there that it can, like, if you can prove to me that it can be done, I can do it. Right. Like if somebody, oh, that's been done it. Okay. Then I can do it. Let me figure out how. And so that was just, yeah. Like you're telling me this is how economics work. I already know so much more like I'm just filling in the blanks here I'm empowered and like in this economics we you touched on a little bit like the time value of money well if you look at that chart and any of the economic charts a lot of the there's a variable money that runs on either the left or the right and then time that runs on the other variable well I possess time Mm. So I leveraged everything that I had because I didn't have much. So I always looked for opportunities to leverage anything that I had. So that's what hit me so hard when I heard about this principle. I'm like, wait a minute. If I invest really young, I've out-invested somebody that can start investing even more money than me at 30 or 40. I'm going to start doing that right now.
0: How did you find anything to invest?
1: Girl, (laughs) I don't know. but like. In higher ed, the benefits, right, they talk about, oh, but the bennies are great. They kind of are, but they pay you like poverty wages. They don't force you. I, I think there's some forcing. But anyways, I would have to, out of my pittance of a paycheck, put 9.5% into my stock market funds, and they would match me then and half percent Wow. So how could I not? And especially with the information that I had. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I started investing very young how
0: did you teach yourself that skill? Because that's actually going to segue very nicely into like present day. But a lot of that stuff really intimidates people. And, you know, they're just like, if they are putting anything aside, it's like going into a 401k plan, and they have no idea what's happening. And I think what's also interesting about you is you went through the 2007-2008 Great Recession, and you saw like, I know your your savings and your retirement took a huge hit. And again, that's where most people go, this isn't fair. The system is rigged. It's working against me. And you've just never, firstly, like you self-taught yourself this shit. And then secondly, like when things went poorly, you still like were like, Well, okay, we're gonna figure this out. So yeah, how did how do
1: you think that unraveled for you? Discipline has kind of been innate because of the trauma, because of all the way that I had to do my life. I had to depend on me from the jump. So I had to adopt almost rituals. Like I'm very ritualistic even to this day. I've had to adopt rituals to make sure, do you have your keys? Do you have your wallet? Because nobody's coming to bring me shit. Nobody's coming to rescue me. Like I've had to be disciplined enough to move into those spaces. But beyond that, like I said, When I run across like these truths, like the time value of money, they tell you you're going to be prepared for ups and downs. And when it's down, you're up actually, because you're still investing and you're buying at the lowest cost. Mm -hmm. So they teach you all this. You can't let fear take over. You have to know and trust, like, you know. Now, economic principles have been kind of shaky lately i'm gonna throw that out there <laughs> yeah.
0: i was like Uh-oh. as you're saying this like the crypto market has taken such a massive dive and part of me is like well there goes 50 percent of my portfolio sale.
1: but the other part of me is like let's pull some cash out and buy some more <laughs> exactly that's when they tell you when it goes into dip it's a that's when you're on sale that's the sale mm-hmm. so and like you said 2006 2007 I couldn't have hit more rock bottom financially. I went bankrupt. I went into foreclosure Mm. because I bought at the peak, like back in 2005 or six, whenever I bought. And then when I went through my divorce, when I wanted to sell, they're like, oh yeah, about that. Your house is worth 50,000 less. And location, location, location is my lesson that I took away from that. Mm -hmm. And a lot more because- yeah, I I can blame a lot on my ex for bankruptcy and blah, 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 but it, I took the hit and I learned a lot from that. And invaluable lessons about money. Zeros and ones you talk about getting to that mindset, that brought me that. Like once you go into foreclosure and then you go and buy another property and it's like, I don't have the worry of this taken away because okay then, whatever. I've been at rock bottom, I know what it looks like, I know what it feels like, I know I can recover. I'm making wiser choices. So I don't really feel like that's going to happen. But I have that experience now to be like, well, no, I have a different relationship with money now. And I manage it different. And I'm at a different space where that was very much a scarcity mindset when I bought that condo. Like you said, rock bottom can birth and usually does the birth of the phoenix.
0: 100%. And again, it's one of those like, am I tolerating this? Am I taking this any longer? Or am I Am I saying yes to everything that's possible? I think as well, like you're almost forced to give yourself a financial education going through something like a foreclosure and a bankruptcy and a divorce. Describe your current work situation to us because you went from, you know, full-time employment. You ended up working in higher education and actually providing the opportunity you were able to receive in terms of simply getting an education
1: to adults going back to college. Yeah. I worked with all sorts of students, mostly in, I don't know, the 18 to 22 range traditionally, but towards the end of my career, I moved towards more adult mentoring. So, you know, when did you quit the day job and go out on your own? Feels like forever, but it was only
0: 2019. I know, it was crazy. So much has happened. You've built a ship. Well, and what I also think is so fucking cool is in the interim, you've, you felt, I like to refer to it as your property empire, but it was like you had to take the leap in order to create the space to actually build the thing that would then enable you to be independent and create yes. financial independence. And so, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, when should I quit and when should I walk away? And and obviously that answer is going to be different for everybody, but I think like, why do you think you, gave yourself permission to quit the job and to take the leap without necessarily knowing where you were going to land.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because so much of it was taking my own advice Mm. because we had been, we had arrived to that place because I kind of pushed and it coached Jason into quitting his day job and going with his business and his business took such a leap that it allowed me to take the leap. So it became easier because I saw what we did actually worked. Right, so you got proof. Yeah, and just, you have to tell fear to take a back seat. They are not, in fact, when fear is around, be like, oh, I have to pay attention to you. What are you telling me about? Yes. But yeah, I just, I had to take my own advice and say, okay, I've got this plan. What if it didn't work was figured out? Like I was, you know, I had a career, 20 years in education. They don't pay anything. They need people like me. So I was like, yeah, I could insert myself back in the matrix anytime. Right. So I had already worked through all of that and said, okay, let's go. Let's do this. Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? So because of some of the trauma I suffered from, religion and spirituality have had not great connotations. Right. But like I said, this year has been more of like embracing that. There's a piece to knowing like I'm creating a rhythm with my world. Like you said, you were asking me like, what's my day job? It's my life now. It's not, Mm -hmm. there's hardly any separation. It's work. It's my life. It's what I want to do. It's all like, there's no separation in those things anymore. I work all of the time. I carry all of that worry with me all of the time. Yet I can plan my week around, hey, the weather looks great on Tuesday and Saturday. And I say intellectually I can because I still feel like I'm on a rocket ship and I need to work on this piece. But intellectually, my life allows me to just say, call the shots and I've got my two days of play and I can work the rest of my life around me. But that's what I'm trying to work towards. Mm. And the reason I ask that
0: is, as you know, I, what I want to explore in these conversations is that intersection of spirituality and the real world. And people who aren't, you know, living full time as like a yoga instructor or an energy worker or a healer. And yet they are still 100% playing with energy, healing, healing those around them, let alone themselves. And open to this idea. I mean, someone who says like, I possess time. My discipline is the ritual in my day. I have leveraged a lot of my life, but mantras and positive affirmations. And I mean, you've taken on so many different challenges. A lot of people talk about and and are, are very much romanticized. And something that I asked, like, just in terms of the weight loss journey, like how much,
1: what are the numbers on that? So at my heaviest till today, there's about 80 pounds. Right. And that's For anyone who's tried to lose 15 years,
0: five pounds, we know like how crazy that is. And it's like all of this, I think, plays into you know, how do you say no to the, the highway to death and or incarceration? How do you crawl yourself back up and out of bankruptcy, divorce, foreclosure? How do you create a lifestyle that your job is your life? And you're beholden to no one except for your crazy-ass self. Talk to me a little bit about like what you consider the ritual practices in your day, the discipline, essentially.
1: It's honoring the important stuff. It's making sure that one of my mantras is self-care is not selfish. Mm. It sounds all like poetry and flowery. No, it's waking up, making sure, like if I have a rough day at 6.30, I'm down at my gym, working out and honoring that because I know like the discipline in me the the outcome is great like the payoff is great I there's so many benefits to that that I don't have to list like my soul will be happy that I did that for me and then I can my cup will overfill and I'll be there for other people so yeah making those those types of things uh, these mantras you know part of that day-to-day, you know, another one is live in the moment. So that's been a slippery slope. I will tell people, like, the life you want to create once you get there is not a cakewalk. Like, you have not arrived and it's all like, yeah, this is the way it's figured out. It is difficult for me to make sure everything fits in now because, like, my fun always fit in on the weekend and I didn't have to think about it. I knew I was going to do that. This day and this day. Now I have to plan out my week and make it sure it fits in, along with the gadas because it is a Gata. It's one of my biggest gadas. So there's this every week of like being intentional about my week, and I, I will say like I'm in the midst of that where that's not always worked out, but I am intentionally navigating that more than when I felt more in chaos at the beginning of this. But yeah, like you arrive and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get to rock my schedule. Like I get to call the shots and everything. Like there's a lot of work that goes with moving around a lot and calling your own shots and, and doing these things that mean so much. So, yeah, coming up with those types of planning rituals to make sure it fits in.
0: Why do you think and I again, I'm I know the answer. Well, actually, I know my own answer and why I've always been so reticent to use even words like ritual or mantras. And it's so interesting because so often I find myself having these conversations with people and then we realize like, oh, we're both woo as fuck. And, but it's like, we're so resistant to labeling it and calling it like, I personally think you're a very spiritual person. I mean, the, you know, the messaging and the conversations that we have and the shit you send me i mean you got me a fucking it's a cauldron cup that says witchy woman on it you know like you're you're taking me to apothecaries and showing showing me the the ropes yeah, yeah. and how like whatever you want to call it or however you play with it how did those practices kind of start creeping into your day to the point where now it's it's a gotta? yeah
1: it's a lot like it's just layering again. Mm -hmm. Like you, you get something in your head, you get a mantra. Like I've had to tackle these one at a time before they can, you know what I mean? Like each one of my mantras have had some specific trigger me doing the shadow work and like, and then adding two, right? Like now, and, and these touchstones are there when I fall back. Like I said, I I was in chaos and what can I do? And I look to my touchstones. I'm like, I'm not living in the moment. I'm not fitting in my mm. stuff. So they're there because I need them and I have to come back to them too. It's not just that one lesson. It's for when things go sideways. It usually is, I'm not doing the self-care. I'm not leaning into discomfort and letting things go. I'm not being honest with people. My trust issues got triggered. You know what I mean? It's all, it's, got to do usually by these words. I live by these mantras, these touchstones. So, and I will, you know, I've added and added to these and and they've been, yeah. And I'll continue to add to them. Like this year, like I said, synchronicity has really come in and then like defining my purpose a little bit more as to be a rising tide and just owning that now. And that's my life's work. Mm. Wow. Right. It's so interesting. And that's not like, it sounds crazy and like oh that's beautiful no it's not to do that work no it's not to step in and like to be a rising tide means like I have to help my partner grow and that looked like getting into a shit about certain things yeah it's not always beautiful but it's my work
0: it's a, a very common topic right now that keeps coming up and I think it has something to do with the fact that it's the beginning of the year and we're kind of you know in this sort of global pandemic scenario and people are saying, well, you know, I, I I know my purpose or I'm getting closer to it and I've gotten understanding for it. But like, what's my purpose? And this idea of like, why, well, you know, it, it's to expand. It's to be the rising tide. It's to show people, like to, to give people permission, whatever that might look like. But then they're like, but what is my purpose? And it's like, well, it's, you know, getting up, you get up at like, The God hour, like four AM, but yeah, and it's it's planning the week out and scheduling in your play time first and foremost, and then you can schedule in all of the maintenance and all of the various. Like, I, I mean, I know your spreadsheets; they're insane. So it's it's like the purpose can sound so sexy, but living that purpose is, you know, we kind of mentioned it earlier. Like the mundane; it is the mundane activities that can be pretty gross without checking yourself and like you said going back to those mantras and i like the way that you described it cuz freedom is as you know the like one of the most important things to me tied with having fun but like these activities don't feel like free building a fucking spreadsheet is like as far from freedom as i can think of <laughs> and also fun but it's like by doing those activities that's when you get the freedom and the fun and uh you know the mantras the parameters like the container within which we play can like you could absolutely look at it as restrictive and confined but it's like in that space comes the freedom and the fun and the play and the creativity. And I actually wanted to ask you about that because this, I mean, you know, your fucking resume is wild, but you run pretty massive, incredibly successful groups on social media. You have been a content creator forever. You know, you were telling me that you used to, was it like creating these little audio recordings for the people that you were counseling in higher ed? Uh, Oh yeah. So tell me about what, and I don't know if you consider yourself to be an artist or a creator. I certainly do. Tell me about your creative process and how, firstly, like how you just, because I'm also sensing like process and routine are paramount for you. So can you remember like discovering your creativity and then how you developed this creative process and how you create and guide so many people through your content? That was a multi-part question, but tackle it however you want.
1: Yeah, sure thing. I might need some prompts, but creativity, again, like I I am an artist and I'm super creative. And again, I feel like that creativity was birthed from a lack. When you're poor, I wanted to be dressed, you know, like the rest of the kids, but I couldn't. I don't know in the, in, when I was like early 80s late 80s 90s some of the brand names were like not that it varies so much but it was such a big deal as a kid and I just didn't have the money so creative like I had to take myself to the thrift shops and I loved my outfits I loved my clothes and I was very happy to express myself so creativity. but I feel like that lack of was the birth of some of that creativity mm. I know you work with creative people and The creative thing does have to grab me. I definitely plan for my creativity, but there's a point where you can't force it. Because I'm thinking about, I know you admired a piece of furniture I did recently. I was just thinking, like, I didn't even mention the furniture, which, yeah, yeah. Well, and then, like,
0: your properties and how you design them, it's, it it blows my fucking mind. Especially because everything in it is a found object. And, yeah, so, you
1: yes. 100%. 100%. Your yeah, prefer. I love that I recycle and but like that process took three months. And I wrote down all of the steps, get the furniture. But before I could get the furniture, I had to measure out the thing. You know what I mean? Like it was a multiple step process for three months. And I just don't know how to condense that. I think you have to be comfortable with the time it takes to be creative. I don't know how I could have rushed that and made that more efficient, but it was efficient. Like I was doing other things in between where I had to set this down and just let it marinate and think because it didn't, the first time I was like, okay, this is done. And then I couldn't put the top coat on because I'm like, no, it's not. So I had to set with that for a while. So I don't know. It's just respecting the time around creativity, but doing the work when you do feel creative and honoring that and making space for that, I guess that would be my suggestions.
0: But you also like, you put shit out every day, especially online. But I mean, you know, going back to like, just trying to inspire the people you were working with. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, I totally understand the creative muse can be a f- flippant bitch and she shows up when she wants. But like, how do you, how do you get that bitch to show up yes. every day <laughs> at 4am so that you can I think
1: you have to train yourself right. though to capture it when it does happen you have to train yourself. Like my videos, I would do once a week, but it was an all week thing because I was writing little notes to myself and just capturing those. So don't ignore like your own prompts. You have to honor thyself. Don't turn down the opportunity to be creative because it, it, like you just have to make the time for it. But yes, like I made time for it all of the time and I, I had to build it in and, you know, I would go down the rabbit hole with some of the ideas and like oh do you remember this and i'd have to research it so those things are built in too like you have to leave time for research you have to leave time for the process like if it doesn't work what am i going to do but yeah like very interesting to take creativity and make it into something that you can recreate because it is uh, a lot of times you have to have some timing about it but no there are so many things that you can do to promote to get to that spot of actually creating something because you have to find a stop and say, okay, this is good enough. Let me do this, knock this one out. And, you know, my videos evolved, you know, at first they were a little bit more choppy and then I got really smooth with it because when you do do stuff, you do get better at it. That's part of like those charts with the time on them, you do get better if you keep on going at whatever it is you're pursuing on the other variable.
0: 100%. I <clears throat> to like I did this experiment the other day. It was Kinsey Madsen was the one who pointed it out and she said that her second grade teacher was the one who told her about it. But if you take a penny and you double that, so you know, day 1 you have 1 cent, day 2 you have 2 cents, day 3 you have 4 cents. And you do that for a month, you end up with over 10 million dollars. And I didn't believe it so I did it. Growth. Yeah, exponential growth. And it doesn't really start kicking in till like day 24. And you're the whole time I'm thinking there's no way this is going to like 10 million dollars is a lot of money. It's a really big number. And you know, you're starting with with pennies. And so that was a little bit mind-blowing. Another really cool uh, way I think it was James Altucher who shared this one but 1% improvement even without compounding if you think what if i can do 1% better today than i did yesterday at the end of the year you're going to be 365% better whatever that might mean bigger better <laughs> i was going to say bossier more boss and and that you know a percentage is relative to the starting point and both, like the other most cliched thing you hear is people all overestimate what they can accomplish in six months and underestimate what they can accomplish in six years. It's, you know, this grit and the discipline and saying yes and this, you know, losing 80 pounds, creating financial independence. It doesn't happen overnight. And yet we romanticize and fantasize about you know, the $10 million showing up into your bank account tomorrow, or, you know, losing 50 pounds in three months. And the reality is, is like that. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that can absorb that level of change and that amount of exponential growth, and have it not completely fuck their worlds. But more often than not, when I have seen people realize, you know, quote, unquote, overnight success, it actually is, that oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, 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 fuck moment. And it creates such a tsunami wave that it's actually very destructive for them. And it might not appear as such from you know the outward perspective, but you know, that that much success and that much spotlight on someone, if they're not ready for it, if they don't have the capacity for it, it will break them. And so that's where I think this like daily approach and just building you know one mantra on top of another and in a moment when you're having a complete freak out that you know that that then can become a genesis point where you go okay well I need I need a tool here I need a resource here I actually have quite a few I can lean on those or like maybe it's time to create something new how did just out of curiosity how did you come like what's your process for like the word of the year or whatever
1: this year I got into the dream book and planner it's it's a step-by-step it walks you through your core values evaluate your self-trust it you know it makes you dreams into the future about you know the big sectors of your life it just was a very formulaic exercise to get me to it goes all the way through planning each month breaking it down to one year three year 10 year lifetime goals Now I'm into my quarters, and then I've broken it down even into the months now. What a relief it has created in my life with just organizing all of that and taking a hard look at what I actually can do this year, what fits. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Cool.
0: I used to do the word of the year thing, you know, and then the last two years happened, and I was like, fuck this. (laughs) because. I either broke 2020 with supersonic bitching or which I'm aware of is two words, but to me, it was capturing an energy and, um, yeah, that was a supersonic bitching year in a lot of different ways that, uh, no, thank you. Okay. Well, after the supersonic bitching point, I, I think we've covered everything. I certainly, you know, the, your creative process the the intersection of spirituality and your life, whatever that looks like, and the daily routine, your practices. We touched on your, your job, aka living living your life. Is there anything else that you want to share or anything you want to add or ask me?
1: Yeah, I just will say that this was such a wonderful opportunity. I think you do amazing work and that you have some true gifts to share with people. I think, you know, the experience of working with you as a friend, but also we've mentored each other back and forward has been so enriching. And I know that you touch people's lives in so many important ways. And I just want to say thank you for that gift that you're allowing me to be, you know, in, in your world. But yeah, thank you for doing this good work out there with people and transforming people's lives, because I know, you know, that's what you do, and you really do do it. It's amazing to see you live this magical life as well, and that I know we're sisters of the same ro- world there, and that we know how hard it is sometimes to to get to your your goals and how you thought it might look and how it feels is a lot different. And just pushing into those wonderful, crazy, amazing moments in life and that we get to share our journey together in that way. I appreciate you.
0: Oh, thanks. That's not what I meant when I said anything else that you want to add. I will reframe that. Though I'll be like, would you like to blow some sunshine up my skirt now? Thank you. Well, and Nona, like I wouldn't, I quite literally, like I I think I'm repeating myself, I would not be here without you. So, so grateful for the gentle kick in the ass.
1: And you've, I mean, you. I think I'm just going to say, like, I told you, like, I'm cleaning up, like I'm running trap lines and cleaning up mice traps. Like, Hey. <laughs> <laughs> A little reality check of like the hard work that goes into all of this. So like I'm glad that we can inspire each other that way. One yeah. With our silly quips in real lives.
0: And very, very real lives. And I will be forever grateful that I mean you're, you know, one of my closest friends and absolutely my consigliere. And I think, you know, one of the one of the things I love about podcasts, and this was offered as a a reframe is so often we look around in our physical immediate real world lives and there isn't the community or the support or the resources we think we need in order to succeed. And one of my fuck no moments was uh, I was, you know, running a little nonprofit arts center and I was, you know, reading or probably listening to a podcast or, or something to that effect. And you know, it said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I looked up at the people that I was working with, who I've always been a bit of a workaholic. And so if I work with you, I you get most of my time. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> if I am the average of these five people, I'm fucked. And, uh, you know, hashtag no judgment. And it was, I was like, oh, I've got to, I got to go. And I was obsessed with My current situation, I loved it, but I was also very aware that it wasn't going to give me what I wanted. And sure I could have blamed it on the, you know, the nonprofit or the neighborhood we were working in or the board or, you know, blah, 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 blah. But in that moment, I went, I have to surround myself with a higher average. And podcasts and books and you know even social media can provide that. And you have absolutely yes. been the outlier that has significantly impacted my average and my real world experience. And so I'm so grateful that I have someone like you that I can like physically see and touch and share space with. And granted, that's gotten a lot less because like neither of
1: us are in Colorado very often <laughs> anymore. But our conversations always are like, where are you at? Yeah. Uh
0: like like pull out the calendar. Do you think our paths might cross in the next six to twelve weeks? Like, or how can we Just pull out the lunar charts, yeah, you know, Let's see everything. Exactly. Um see <laughs> lunar charts. This bitch said she's not spiritual. Well, So like, but, you know, that's, I'm hoping what this resource can be for people as well is something that enables them to surround themselves with the energy and the people and this, the uh, outliers to raise their average. So you've, you've 100%. I do
1: believe this is the modern day campfire. Yeah. Like we get to sit around and hear these wonderful thoughts and, and stories. This is community. This is this is how we build it. And it doesn't like, this is, people are invited to this party and and they can be invited to your party. So I love it. I really do. I think I, I'm not a tech person. Like I said, I'm that weird generation, but like, I do think there's powerful, good, positive things that we can create and that you're creating with this. So 100%, I love it. Well, thank you, Nona. Thank you for being a part of this.
0: Again, thank you for being the actual reason it's even happening. And I can't wait until our paths cross again. Thank you.